I Could Murder a Cocktail Series 2, Episode 2. Welcome to I Could Murder a Cocktail Episode something. Uh, <laughs> today we're going to... I don't know. I've not checked. <laughs> Victor Lustig. Am I Victor saying that or was I Lustig. telling you that for you to do it? Right, and the cocktail we're drinking is... Con, just start fresh. Connor, how do you not know any of this? It's a French 75. Um, that's it. The cocktail we're going to be drinking is the French 75. And the ingredients of which are London dry gin, lemon juice, sugar syrup, champagne, or if you're nasty, Prosecco, <laughs> and lemon peel. Oh, or if you're nasty it. like me, Sauvignon Blanc, because I didn't have it. Prosecco. You did not. <laughs> that is not a substitution, Con. Christ. Really? That is, that is so White wine and lemonade is just Prosecco, isn't it? Where's the lemonade? So you've done white wine and lemonade with gin and lemon juice. And sugar syrup. You forgot sugar syrup. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna start before me or Ellie has a stroke at the sound of what is in your cocktail. So, as Connor mentioned, we... my boyfriend still makes my sandwiches for work. <laughs> my boyfriend makes my sandwiches. <laughs> we are covering Victor Lustig. We haven't tried it yet. Well. Sorry, I've been drinking the whole time that everyone's been having internet troubles. Yeah, I, I have been drinking for a, a while. I'm still I was... internet troubles. Well, this oh, is don't delicious. do the replacements, guys. <laughs> oh, they were not wise replacements. <laughs> I could have told you that before you did the replacements. Connor, If why didn't you just like... Go, there, there's a shop near you, right? You could have just gone and got a cheap mini bottle of Prosecco for like a couple of quid. No. <laughs> that wasn't really so well timed. It was a lot the right stuff. Gone, you were silent for like at least ten seconds before going, no. <laughs> it's like a BBC News interview, isn't it? <laughs> it is. <laughs> Okay. And we've got our reporter out in the field. Right, I'm going to shut up through most of this and I'll just interject when I feel it's relevant. So it'll be about a minute after Molly's actually said something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Molly, in the so middle of another sentence. Mention the death. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So, as Connor mentioned, we are talking about Victor Lustig, who was not a murderer, but was a very well-known criminal. And before we started, I wanted to talk you through the Ten Commandments of a Con Man, because it's going to be very relevant. So, number one is to be a patient listener. And they say that it's this and not all the talking that makes a good con man. Number two is never look bored. Number three 
is wait for the other person to reveal any political opinions and then agree with them. Number four is let the other person reveal religious views and then have the same ones. (laughs) Number five is hint at sex talk, but don't follow it up unless the other person shows strong interest. Yeah. Number seven is never pry into a personal into a person's personal circumstances because they'll only tell you eventually. Number eight is never boast, just let the importance be quietly obvious. Number nine is never be untidy, which is why Ellie can't be a con man. And number ten is never get drunk, which is why none of us can be con men. <laughs> Hang on, I'm not untidy. As a Connor man. <laughs> I do the exact opposite of every single one of those rules. <laughs> I did think we're not really ones for let the other person reveal political opinions and agree with them. <laughs> <laughs> so, Victor was born in the Czech Republic. And he was always good at learning and performed well at school. Um, But he was also notorious for getting in trouble. At the age of 19, Victor moved to Paris to study. And it was then that he started gambling as well. Once he had left school. Yeah. Once he'd left school, um, this is where he began to use his education but also he was fluent in, I think, I couldn't find the, some people said four, some people said five different languages. So he used these to embark on his life of crime. He focused mainly on scams and cons to make himself rich in money, but also property. Um, And he quickly became known as a professional con man, which I like, because if you're known for being a con man, like that's not going to help you with many cons. (laughs) Just like, business card saying professional con man and like would you like to buy this building exactly (laughs) it's like going around like oh yeah that guy's definitely a murderer and then like you're not going to gain any murders from that if everyone knows you are (laughs) yeah it's um but I mean it sounds like it it worked and you know I'm I'm sure you'll tell us more Molly I will Helen (laughs) (laughs) So, fucking psychic <laughs> who could have guessed that on a true crime podcast well because normally we all like we'll, we try and like predict what's going to happen and then someone's always like shh don't ruin it and so I did I was about to start you know making up things and I thought no I'll just wait for you to actually tell me good plan so Molly was going to go that was it <laughs> end the end Joe Finn off we go <laughs> So, Victor would begin his cons on boats sailing between France and New York. One of the schemes that he pulled off, which when I heard this, I was like, Connor would have fallen for this con four times over. One of the schemes he pulled on rich travellers was where he would pose as a musical producer who saw investment in a non-existent Broadway production. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh god i think i've met this guy actually but he seemed <laughs> genuine and 
And yeah, you've got tickets to the show next week, is it? No, we said it's been delayed, but my money is safe. <laughs> I will get it back at some point, but it's just cool. it's taking its time. Blame COVID. <laughs> um, so this was actually really successful until the service of the boats across the Atlantic stopped because of World War One. Um, and by this time, Victor had only known how to make money through scams and cons because he'd had, like never had another job in his life. So he decided we're better to go for USA. Um, by this time, he began to earn a level of infamy amongst various law enforcement agencies because of the many, many scams that he had committed. One of them, which he conducted in 1922, <laughs> saw him con a bank into giving him money for some bonds that he was offering for a repossessed property. So he went in with the bonds, exchanged them for money, but then using sleight of hand, managed to leave with the bonds and the money. <laughs> So it like wasn't even a con, really. It was just like being very good at close range magic. <laughs> that is so good. I want to learn how to do shit like that. Just be like, oh yes, I'll I'll swap you the this thing for that, and then just be like, yoink, both of them coming exactly, with me. Exactly, exactly. And it was literally just like when when people weren't looking and some sleight of hand, you left with the bonds and the money. And it's like I'm not sure iconic. whether that's a con or whether that's theft. Exactly. <laughs> it's just nicking it. Isn't it? <laughs> exactly. It doesn't seem like that much thought has gone into it. You just take both. <laughs> it's not like here's a step by step. You go in, you take both, you leave. <laughs> I would love that if there was a book like How to Be a Con Man, <laughs> and that was literally just step one: Steal take the thing. shit and leave. <laughs> <clears throat> So one of his most infamous scams and the reason why we're drinking the French 75 was the Eiffel Tower scam. In 1925, Victor travelled back to France and he was staying in Paris where he came upon a newspaper article discussing the problems faced with maintaining the Eiffel Tower. Oh my God, I've heard about this. Sorry, carry on. It's phenomenal. After reading this article, he thought, brilliant, a new con idea. It wasn't to just go and steal the Eiffel Tower. Like, sleight of hand, just took the Eiffel Tower. Like, Nobody it will see me. it. Exactly. <laughs> when nobody was looking, I left with the bonds and the Eiffel Tower. Um. So at the time, the Eiffel Tower had begun to rust and it needed so much maintenance and the city was just finding it increasingly expensive to repaint. Um, And part of the article made a passing comment about how the overall public opinion on the monument would be towards its removal rather than paying for the upkeep. Um, Oh, yeah. So this bit, the... I'm going to start that again. So from reading in the article that most people would want it removed, this was key to convincing Victor that this had to be part of the next con and that it would be fairly simple. So he did his research, he planned out his con and he even got um, someone to forge 
um, fake government documentation for him. The next step was he invited a small group of scrap metal dealers uh, to a meeting in an expensive hotel where he told them that he was the deputy director general of the Ministère de Postes et Telegraphes, which is the Ministry of Pots and Telegraphs. Pots? As yeah. in, like, pots no, and pans? No, no, <laughs> posts. Posts. Oh, I I find it hard to say things that end with S and then are followed by another S. Post. Post. I was like. Telegram. I was doodling on my paper and then I just was like, what? Hang on. Those those things don't go together. I'm glad this is very interesting to you, Ali, that you have to doodle. No, it is. But if I don't doodle, then I'm just. Well, I mean, I'm going to doodle and. um, I can't see either of you, so I don't feel uh, it's different. Um, but I am listening. That's otherwise I would have missed the pots thing. So you're just drawing really offensive caricatures. Is that what you're doing? <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm sticking where our faces are on the screen. Don't be ridiculous, as if I would do that. Also, anything that I draw would be offensive because I can't fucking draw. So, um, really although not true all the time moles the other week when we did that blindfold were you here did we do it on zoom yeah we did it on zoom yeah. with you didn't we yeah and we did that blindfold drawing thing and i did that rabbit and it was actually really good yeah it was really good <laughs> that's the entire story i no longer have a photo of the rabbit but i did do a, a drawing of a rabbit that one time with a blindfold on and it was good so you're a better drawer when your eyes are closed. Yeah, no, she legitimately is. Because she can go with her instincts. Like, <laughs> sure rabbits have big ears. Feel the rabbit. Feel the rabbit. <laughs> In order to draw the rabbit, you have to be the rabbit. <laughs> so, to, sorry to turn the conversation away from Ellie's drawing abilities. In the meeting he convinced the men that as mentioned in the article uh, the upkeep of the Eiffel Tower was just becoming too much too expensive and the French government had decided to sell it for scrap but because doing this publicly could cause some controversy and very likely spark public disagreements from the people who wanted to keep it um, no more information could be disclosed until everything was sought out and this was more of like a an information session. So Victor said that he was in charge of selecting the dealer who would receive ownership of the structure, claiming that the group had been selected carefully because of their reputations as, in quotes, honest businessmen. Not like him, very unlike him. So his speech included genuine insight about the monument, um, the locations in the city, other monuments, like loads of information that was all true. So it seemed very convincing to this group of men. During this time with the dealers, Victor kept an eye on every single dealer and was trying to pick his mark. Um, And then he decided that his mark would be André Poisson. 
I'm assuming that's, <laughs> that's how you say it in French. If you go, it always sounds French. So, it sounds a bit like you're calling him Andre Fish there. <laughs> that's what I thought. Why? What's fish French. in French? Poisson. Poisson. How do you spell that? P O I double S O N. Well, that's how it's spelt. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> Look at me. I don't even speak French when I said fish <laughs> C- correctly. <laughs> Andre Fish. <laughs> we'll just be calling him Andre. <laughs> um, Andre was picked as the mark because he was showing the keenest interest in purchasing the monument. So this is what led Victor to focus on him. He arranged a private meeting with Andre where Victor convinced him that him, he himself was a corrupt, corrupt official claiming that his government position didn't give him a generous salary um, and it wasn't enough for the lifestyle he wished to enjoy. So Andre believed that him buying the Eiffel Tower would secure him a place amongst like the top businessmen. He would be the most well-known. So he, he was at this point needed to buy the Eiffel Tower. Andre then agreed to pay a large bribe to Victor to secure ownership of the Eiffel Tower. Um, obviously, once Victor received this bribe and the funds, uh, he fled to Austria. So he sold the, in quotes, Eiffel Tower to Andre for around 70,000 francs. So do you want to guess how much in US dollars that would have been in 2019? Fucking hell, that's very specific. It's a currency I don't know two years ago. Bloody hell, Molly. Well, I couldn't find it now. <laughs> so I thought that's was just going to have to be the closest. Um, I'm going to do my usual. I'm not going to think about it. I'm just going to say a number. <laughs> 10 million. I'm going to say 3.4 million. Well, I thought you were going to go lower than that. So this doesn't sound as... That's good now. <laughs> it was the Eiffel fucking tower. Yeah, yeah. So I would... it it was it's one million one hundred and sixty thousand nine hundred dollars. So it is quite a lot. Like I know he thought that he was buying the Eiffel Tower, but to be conned out of that much and literally get nothing is quite a lot to lose. Do you know what I wonder is how that conversation where he like told him he was a like a corrupt official, how that actually went? Like, do you think he literally leant over the table and went, hey, I'm corrupt as fuck. Pay me money and I will introduce you to all these people. Like, was there subtlety behind it? I like to yeah, think they did not. Have a private meeting um, and it was stated in many different things that I read that the main selling point was that the government didn't pay him enough for his the lifestyle he wished to enjoy so I think basically it's like oh i love i love whiskey this is a good glass of whiskey it's a shame i can't afford it damn government I quite like. just, victor suspected that when andre found out that he'd been conned which i like to think how did he find out did it come monday morning he was like Still hasn't been delivered, or like what? 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 Do you think he turned up at the Eiffel Tower and was like, "Right, so this is mine now"? And yeah, it was like, like what I the fuck? Paperwork? What paperwork? 
No, no, no. I just you turned it. up with one spanner to start taking it apart like a DIY set. <laughs> a piece of paper that says Eiffel Tower is yours. He's like <laughs> on the side of the tower, and they're like, "What the fuck are you doing?" He's like, "It's fine, isn't it?" I was just what? taking it apart. I'm gonna take it home. He wanted it for scrap metal as well. It would have been funnier if he turned up in one of those bands with the speakers on it. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't think this will fit on the back of Any my van. scrap metal. And they're like, no, nothing new. <laughs> this this so... looks like at least two trips. <laughs> two trips. Um. Victor suspected that when Andre found out that he'd been conned, he would be too ashamed and embarrassed to tell the police. Obviously. Because you don't want to turn up and be like, I'm really sorry to bother you guys, but I bought the Eiffel Tower and it's not actually mine. <laughs> like You would be so ashamed, wouldn't you? Could you, could you imagine the, like, the police officer like, Right. Okay. Like, what what crime has happened? So, yeah. So, some corrupt, apparent corrupt official came up to me and said, "Do you want to buy the Eiffel Tower?" And I went, "Yeah." yeah. And then I, then gave, I gave him, him a my million money. pounds. <laughs> and for some reason, the monument that belongs to the country is not now mine. I'm <laughs> so ashamed. So that was obviously true, um, because. While Victor was in Austria, he kept an eye on the newspapers and the news channels in Paris just to see if anything came up, but nothing ever appeared about it. So he thought, obviously, Andre was too ashamed to go to the police and everything was chill. Um, He decided to go back to Paris later that year to pull off the same scheme one more time. <laughs> so he wanted to sell the Eiffel oh Tower God. twice. <laughs> He's got balls, I'll give him that. Oh, yeah, no, he's, he tries. He's a trier. God loves a trier. Um, so when he attempted to con another group of dealers, he literally didn't change the plan at all. He contacted <laughs> more scrap metal dealers, probably went to the same fancy hotel for the meeting. Um, so he found a mark... Um, willing to buy the Eiffel Tower for the second time. Um, but someone in the meeting thought this is suspicious and went to the police about the scam. Um, and this is when Victor uh, fled the US to evade arrest after the second time of selling the Eiffel Tower. <laughs> um, I think this is probably quite a good time for a break before I tell you about any more brilliant brilliant cons <laughs> okay awesome <clears throat> what just took into the mic a little bit and carry on talking what just took into the mic see it just doesn't have the same <laughs> just doesn't have the same ring to it what just wrecked the mic <laughs> right uh welcome back to i can murder a cocktail part two as we're now going to start doing every single week, as along with our usual refreshments, we've brought a shot in with us each. So, uh, Molly, what have you brought today? I've got vodka. Flavoured with... vodka or just standard? No, just your bog standard. Uh, listeners probably don't know, but Connor and Ellie will know that I'm a collector of Absolute. And obviously I haven't had many opportunities to drink it during lockdown. Because like, wine is something you can... like drink on your own while watching a film that feels all right but if you've got a vodka to sit down and watch a film on your own it just sounds like seems really sad 
So I've collected a ridiculous amount of vodka. So I'm going to have to work my way through it during these shot in the heads. Shot to the head. Sorry. <laughs> Shoot someone in the face. <laughs> and uh, Ali, you Potter, joke, that is literally the fun. <laughs> <laughs> that is it. That's the joke. <laughs> That's what shot to the head means. Thanks for explaining that to me, Connor. I've been very I just, confused. I, just thought I'd double check. <laughs> what have you got, I'm older and wiser. Um, and because I am old and wise, I have Baileys, um, mainly Baileys because... Shot. No, no, absolutely not. I'll tell you my reasoning. I was going to have gin, but... I couldn't be bothered to go all the way back upstairs and there was a mini Baileys that I got about three years ago from my old manager um, and I thought I'd just do that. Um, but I did then, to compensate, make an extra strong cocktail and I, I'm sitting next to the bottle of Prosecco. So I will still drink the same amount of or more alcohol probably than especially you, Connor, with your fucking Pepsi. <laughs> Connor, not, why don't not to you bring us back us to cranberry juice, mate. No, 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 let's just focus on Ellie for a second. Like to bring us back to cranberry juice gate, where Ellie was like, "Oh, this cranberry juice has been in the fridge for a year, but it's okay because it's extra long life." Like most alcohol, I would be pretty willing to drink three or four years down the line, as long as it's like quite high proof. But Bailey's, yeah, it's Bailey's fine. Actually, lasts like uh, yeah, three years is probably a push. It does last for like two years. It says best before end. It says best before end 2019. So that's fine. No, you know what? I let you, I let you off now because I was angry because you're basically drinking milk. But now that I know it's gone off milk, I'm quite happy you're doing it's it. It's okay. Yeah. No, I, I had a little sip to check it was okay and it is fine. Um, We're going to have to stop halfway so through part two because Ellie's going to shit herself. <laughs> no, I am a grown-up and I will not make you stop. I'll just shit myself and it'll Carry be fine. On like a trooper. <laughs> I am a professional. We won't, if we can't see you right now, we won't be able to see it in your face. <laughs> like, I'm quite glad oh, we're not in the room while Ellie is shot in two-year-out-of-date Baileys. It'd be fine. I've dropped I've drunk much whiskey, and that cranberry juice didn't kill me. It didn't make me feel sick. Um, I did feel sick the next day, but I don't think that was the cranberry juice. I think that was like the amount of alcohol that I drank. Mm-hmm. So it'll be fine. Connor? I have gin, but I couldn't face the thought of gin because it made me feel sick. So I put a little bit of Pepsi in my shot glass as well. This podcast has gone to shambles. <laughs> this is week two of this segment. Week two. And you're having gin and Pepsi and babies. Disgusting. <laughs> Call ourselves the flipping cocktail podcast. And you're the... I can't even. I think uh, lockdown part three has just really got to everyone now. So anything, anything fucking goes at this point. Exactly. Um, but I would say I do think Connor's shot is worse than mine because at least mine is like a like a drink. I would never, nobody would ever walk into a bar and be like, "Oh yes, 
I'll have your finest gin with a dash of Pepsi. I feel like nobody the would only do that. Way you have redeemed yourself, Ellie, is because it's gone out of date. Yeah, <laughs> like you've turned it from a casual drink into a bush tucker trial, and it's fantastic. Yeah, it's gnarly. Like I'm happy to. If you'd have just come with normal babies, I'd have been like pathetic. Go get something different. But you've put a twist on it, and I like that. So Thank yeah, you very much. Twist is, Connors is the worst. Twist, twist his stomach does as it goes in. <laughs> So, Ellie, what's our shot to the head? Okay, so uh, I'm just going to preface this. I forgot I was doing this until you texted me earlier, Moles. Um, and so I quickly Googled weird crimes, and a Wales Online article came up of weirdest crimes from Wales in the last 10 years. And this one just stood out to me. So, there was a man named Adam. <clears throat> Sorry, my voice went. There was a, a man named Adam Minton who was from Tyler's Town. He robbed a Ladbrokes and nicked about 240 quid in the end. So after obviously robbing it, he ran outside into the waiting car. The police, upon like obviously after they realized they'd been robbed, uh, viewed the footage and were like, okay, he had a getaway car. Uh, so they tracked down the driver and it turned out that the woman had only just met him. They were actually on their first date. Um, she apparently, like, when he jumped in the car, he was like, just fucking drive, drive, drive. And she was freaking out, saying, like, what's happened? What's happened? Um, he just said, shut up, keep driving. So they eventually got to his house because he was giving her directions. Uh, she pulled up outside and then he nonchalantly was like, do you want to come in and watch a film, have a drink? Um, she obviously was like, no fucking thank you. Um, and yeah, he he ended up being jailed for four and a half years and they didn't have a second date. <laughs> well, that's I guess that's sad. <laughs> that's so funny because let's be honest, if you were on your first date with someone and they got into the car like, go, 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 just drive. You would obviously drive. You wouldn't yeah, be like, why? You'd just be like, oh, okay. And then you'd think of an explanation later, wouldn't you? You'd want, you'd be driving going, do you want to tell me what this is about now? Instead of like, you can't blame it. <laughs> but it's just the fact that like, the police, when they were like looking at the footage, were like, okay, right. So he planned this out. He had a getaway driver. The driver sped away. And then they like <laughs> tracked her down. And he she's did. just like, yeah um we just we just actually met um this oh is a God. bit strange you think he had planned it out or do you think they were like in the car and he saw the lad brooks and just thought this is an <laughs> ideal time because i've got a getaway driver now do you think maybe he went he... on tinder swiping all the rights just to find someone that would give him a lift or do you think it was, he was looking for like a car in the background of someone's <laughs> picture? Just like, that one will do. She drives this will be fab. Whoops. Saying with men, it's really weird because they would put in their Tinder profile that they drive. Women very rarely do. Yeah. Are you often looking at women on Tinder, Con? Um, no comment. Yeah, what's it to I you, Ellie? <laughs> No, sorry. That's I just... what he wants to do with his Saturdays, and that's what he wants to do. Connor, you do you. 
I had fear in your voice then, Ellie. Were you worried? You thought you were safe on Tinder because I'd never see you. (laughs) Now you're like, he's going to tell everyone. It's like, shit, everyone's going to know. Both of us on funky little bisexual Tinder. (laughs) (laughs) Well, on that note. Cheers. Should we all take a shot? I'm going to drink my chunky Baileys. It's not chunky, guys. Oh, even this Pepsi doesn't look very appealing anymore. <laughs> right, chin chin. Delicious. I forget what, I forget what Gordon's does. Oh. It's got that. It's furniture polish. <laughs> that went down the wrong pipe. <laughs> <laughs> Seeing you worried about me. I wasn't worried, Eddie. I know you're going to shit your pants in about an hour. <laughs> nope. I'll be fine, hopefully. I'm intolerant lactose. Every now so, and then, I'm sat there in the house and I just hear Cynthia Lee Fontaine go, I am a strong gay woman. <laughs> <laughs> just in my head. Just. <laughs> Um, okay, so just a couple of other cons that Victor did. He also created a scam where he had built a money duplicating machine. <laughs> I'm sorry. Victor would ask his mark to give him a specific donation, like something like $50 or $100 bill. And then he'd put this bill into his device along with one piece of paper um, and then would wait with the mark and the machine until the duplicate was made. So once it was made, Victor would take the mark with him to the bank with the new note to authenticate it. But in reality, the mark wouldn't know that Victor had already concealed a real note in there before they arrived. Victor would go to the bank with an authentic note, get them to authenticate it, and then the mark would obviously think that this machine just duplicates $100 bills and would want to buy it. They offered him lots of money. He did this with many people, and before the marks would realise that they'd be con, he'd make a clean escape. And yeah, he did this with loads of people, different boxes that he called duplicating machines, and was very successful multiple times. <laughs> that is the stupidest one. Like, that's even worse than the other. Because if I had a money duplicating machine, you couldn't give me enough money to sell it. That's the point, isn't it? <laughs> if someone said I've got a money duplicating machine, you would know that they would there would be no amount of money that you could buy off them because they would just keep duplicating money for the rest of their lives. Exactly. If they they go in, well, give me a hundred dollars, I'll show you it duplicates. You'd go, well, why aren't you duplicating your own hundred dollar bills? Like, it is yeah. so stupid. If I, could, if I had that power where I could reach into my jeans and pull out a £10 note every time, I wouldn't fucking sell those jeans, would you? Like, ugh. No, you would not <laughs> sell <laughs> the jeans. Maybe people just thought that he was, like, a really generous criminal and he was just like, look, I've done this. Now, I want you to do it. You know, he's just being really nice. Yeah, maybe. Well, he, like I said, he did this many different times. One of them was a mayor, and one of them was like a police sheriff. And like, he did it this so many times with like 
wooden box. <laughs> oh, it's iconic. Um, another scam, very risky scam, was he actually scammed Al Capone. So during the nice. depression, knowing that like he would definitely face death if Al Capone realized, he still went ahead with this con. So for Victor, the scam wasn't like a straight in and out con, but it was designed to get Al Capone to part with quite a small amount of cash. So Victor asked Al Capone to invest, I think it was $50,000 in a scheme. And then he kept the money in a safety deposit box for something like two months before returning it and saying that the deal had fallen through and it, it wasn't going ahead anymore. So this obviously gave Al Capone the impression that he was an honest man. He was someone you could trust. He could You could do business with him. So at this point then, Victor told Capone that the failure of the deal meant that he'd lost loads of money and he was not able to support himself. So Al Capone gave him £5,000 just to tide himself over um, until he could get back on his feet. And Victor just left. <laughs> he just left. Ha- like, that is insane. Again, so simple. He just made himself a trustworthy man, got 5,000 quid off Al Capone, and just left. <laughs> That's fucking brilliant. Isn't like, it? It's not complicated. It's not like he had to really put himself out. He was just like, yeah, man, I'm trustworthy. Give me some money. Oh, no, it didn't work. Can I have some money? And then just ran off. That's yeah. fucking brilliant. And by this point, like, £5,000 probably wasn't that much to Al Capone. And trying to find Victor would have been more hassle than it's worth. And he was so smart to just take a little bit of money, a little bit of money from Al Capone, but probably was quite a lot of money to him. And it was just so clever. Just as the smallest things, and it's so clever. (laughs) So in 1930, Victor went into partnership with two men from Nebraska called William Watts and Tom Shaw. And they made a scam to manufacture counterfeit dollar bills. So the operation managed to create thousands, literally thousands of counterfeit bills uh, every month for the next five years. The money duplicating machine. It works. (laughs) (laughs) The wooden box worked. So, yeah, they were making thousands of dollars each month for five years. But the increasing amount of money entering the US economy that they were finding out were counterfeits eventually drew the attention of the federal agents. They're like, how come half the money in this bank is fake? (laughs) So when Victor's mistress, Billy May, learned that he was betraying her for Shaw's younger mistress, (gasps) she decided to take revenge and placed an anonymous phone call to the federal authorities. Which I'm like, yes, hun, do it. So on the 10th of May, 1935, Victor was arrested in New York and charged with counterfeiting. Although he 
openly admitted to his partner's involvement in the operation. He claimed, uh, no, he uh, claimed ignorance for the matter. He was like, yeah, 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 no, I know for a fact these guys were making counterfeit bills. Me, no, nothing to do with it. Like, when I like, called him my partner in crime, it was a figure of speech, guys. <laughs> the day before his trial, Victor managed to escape from prison. <laughs> this guy is relentless. You've got to give him that. He was in a detention center in New York, but then was found 27 days later in Pittsburgh. Um, he was obviously returned to the courts and then he pleaded guilty at his trial and was sentenced to 15 years in prison for his original charge and then five years for his escape. He served his time on Alcatraz. So cool. Um, and on the 9th of March, 1947, he contracted pneumonia and then was pronounced dead two days later. On his certif- on his death certificate, his occupation was listed as an apprentice salesman, and that's that. <laughs> that that's is an insult. <laughs> no, that is fucking epic. Like, like, <laughs> do you know what? You you tried your best. Like, you know, you you learnt the trade. You sold the Eiffel Tower fucking twice. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they're not giving him enough credit calling him an apprentice salesman. He was, what did I say at the start? Like, what was he? A professional con, con man. That should have been on his death certificate. It, like, why, what did they have That's to hide like. anyway? We already knew he was in prison. You haven't got to pretend like he was a good guy. Say what he actually was. Yeah, but is it like Al Capone? Because his um, business card read like used furniture salesman or something. So are they just trying to like downplay it of like... Wasn't it professional family man? (laughs) I don't know. Business card, Al Capone's professional family man. They could have put that. Even that's better than <laughs> apprentice salesman. He was the best salesman they could have been. He sold the fucking Eiffel <laughs> Tower twice. An apprentice could not have done that. No, definitely not. So that's pretty much all there is to say on Victor. But there is an actual film that was created called The Man Who Sold the Eiffel Tower twice. Um, and there's like hundreds of documentaries on YouTube about him Um, and I've had to like cut it down but there's like a few of the smaller cons that he did and like a bit more into the info of how he actually sold the Eiffel Tower so I definitely recommend watching some if you get a time because it's really interesting and like a little bit hilarious have you got a joke for us con? I have Oh, you want me to say it? Okay, cool. I just thought we were gonna <laughs> we were gonna vibe. Um, what do you call someone who rip, uh, rips you off on the web? Um, I don't know. A dot con artist. No. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so bad it's good. Mm-hmm. That could also be in our Tinder bios. Mm. 
We're all going to be single one day, I guess. <laughs> I know. I was going to say, guys, like, what, what are you planning? Or is it like one of us is single, so we all have to be single? Is that, that the pact that we're making? <laughs> I do not remember that that's how it works. <laughs> oh, is that, that from that podcast that I cannot remember recording? The, uh, is that, that the pact that we made? Yeah, yeah. We also we made can, a pact that you would set anything. up direct debits to me and Connor. You must be too drunk to remember, but me and Connor definitely remember. Oh, yeah. I mean, now you say it, it is kind of ringing. I wondered why there was like £900 going out of my account every month. It was really baffled me, but now I get it. I understand. Learn a lot from Victor Lustig. you got to keep it simple. <laughs> Give us money. Okay. <laughs> you were drunk. You said yes. I must have said yes. Be like, oh, yeah, that sounds like me. I think um, I need to possibly round off this podcast with a really serious question to you guys. So, my bosses aren't paying me enough, and we're considering selling the Millennium Stadium for scrap. <laughs> I would Ellie, be um, interested, definitely. Ellie, don't, Ellie, don't tell Molly, but I think you're a really serious businessman. <laughs> And that we do great business. I think uh, we would be fantastic businessmen together. Um, I will consider your offer. And... It's not a together thing. I'm selling it to you and fucking off. <laughs> selling it to you. You'll get a piece of paper that says Ellie owns Millennium Stadium. It's not even called the fucking Millennium Stadium, is it? So they'd be like, I'd turn up there, they'd be like, yeah, you're you're about six years late, love. And you can't just have it because a piece of paper with crayon on it says that you can. Connor said, mine. <laughs> I only paid him one million pounds. It was a fantastic deal. Con, you always do the outros. You know you do. Oh my God, do I? Sorry, it's because I did the joke. I just, everything flipped. Uh, thanks for listening, guys. We appreciate your listening every single week. Well, if you did listen last week, we don't know yet, so we might get zero viewers this season. <laughs> we might hit a new low. We might start having minus figures. Uh, <laughs> enjoy your interactions on our posts and the guesses that people do on what drink is next week. I still don't know what drink is next week. I won't know what drink next week is next week when I'm doing We're the podcast. drinking it. <laughs> yeah. You're probably not going to drink it anyway, Con, so it doesn't really matter. No. So I replaced the gin with whiskey, the champagne with lemonade. I replaced the simple syrup with salt. And guys, I don't like this cocktail very much. I don't know why you like <laughs> This it. cocktail's gross. So uh, bye-bye from me. Bye. Bye-bye. Ooh. In perfect harmony. Very good, very good. I Could Murder a Cocktail is an independent podcast produced by Ellie Layden, Molly Dacey and Connor Hall. Researched by Ellie Layden and Molly Dacey and edited by Connor Hall.